baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Tuesday, July 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And coming up on today's show, we are going to talk to Concerned Veterans for America. We're going to talk to Dan and John from that organization about who exactly Concerned Veterans for America is, what it is that they believe. Because while I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about what they want to do, I've never actually heard it directly from them. So we're going to talk to them about exactly what it is that they're looking for when it comes to things like care at the VA, the choice program, and so on. And we're also going to talk to them about their newly announced Concerned Veterans for America Foundation, which is going to be working more in the nonprofit space than in the political space that they currently occupy. So we're going to talk to them, and then we're going to talk to Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, about the latest and greatest happenings on Capitol Hill as they apply to and affect the veteran community. There's a lot going on legislatively and otherwise. We never have a shortage of subjects to talk to Justin Brown on, and we will welcome him into the studio coming up a little bit later on today. Right now, though, let's welcome super producer Jake Hughes into the studio. Jake, how are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm okay. I, I just got I got irritated before because I couldn't find a photo that I knew was on my computer. I wanted to tweet it out and couldn't find it. Turned out it was in a different folder than where I thought it ah. was. I knew it was there. In fact, I was scrolling through and I saw it at one point and then I couldn't find it again. And then I don't even know what's going on. But that's what happens when your son wakes up at 345 in the morning, climbs into bed and starts kicking you as he tries to carve out his own space in the bed. <laughs> he has uh, never really done that before. So this will not be a new trend. I did not get up and lift him up and put him back in his bed. But uh, the next time it happens, that is is absolutely going to be the case but yeah it woke me up at just before 4 a.m and i'm like oh man i go back to sleep wake up i woke up like three more times before my alarm went off see i'm the kind of guy for some reason when i wake up before my alarm i seem to get better sleep like i like this morning i woke up like an hour before my alarm went off and right. went right back to sleep and i woke up feeling a bit more refreshed I, I can see that, and I think occasionally that happens for me. Uh, today it did not. I just I would like to I would like to take like a two hour nap right now. I'd like to have a <laughs> cot set up in here with a pillow. I can sleep anywhere. I was in the Navy, man. We can sleep in uncomfortable places. Trust me. If you've ever been to a berthing on a United States naval vessel, you know that a sailor can sleep anywhere because that was the comfortable spot on the ship for us. There were other less comfortable spots where you would also be able to fall asleep. So I don't need much room, much space. I can do it on the floor right here behind this console. Um, they would probably frown on me doing that during the workday. Um, probably. Yeah. You know, I do have that little production office where I'll be working on the uh, Eye on Veterans, the weekend show. Maybe if I, like, block the window so no one can see in there, I can just stretch I won't tell. it on the floor. 
As long as you let me hop in there every oh, now and then to get a, catch some Z's. Wait a second. We're talking about this on a recording that's going on. Oh. Uh, never mind. Oops. Yeah, no, yeah, we're totally not going to do that. That's not going to happen. If that, it's a coincidence if the window is uh, papered over or has something in front of it blocking it. Total coincidence. Totally not today. Well, there's a new story up on ConnectingVets.com that is actually based on an interview that we're going to play tomorrow, Jake. Yesterday, we had Senior Chief Kristen Beck. That, of course, is the retired Navy SEAL, spent time on DevGrew. That's, of course, Team 6 and other places there. Uh, pretty explosive interview. Uh, the Senior Chief does not hold back on things, has a <laughs> lot of things to talk about. We went over uh, Private Manning. We went over, you know, the response from the SEAL community to uh, a transgender retired decorated SEAL, Purple Heart recipient, multiple bronze stars, uh, and transgender. Which one of those is the, uh, you know, the the most important to the, the fellow SEALs there? And also about the kind of, uh, I guess, double standard as she sees it for, uh, for different SEALs doing different things publicly. For example... Being a transgender retired senior chief, not okay in some people's eyes, but being the gung-ho uh, U.S. Navy SEAL that's kind of the stereotypical SEAL that everybody thinks of, that's just fine. So, uh, you know, it's pretty uh, pretty interesting conversation, and it's a long one. We went for a long time, so it's going to take up uh, a good two segments, an hour of the show tomorrow. You'll be able to hear the full interview, but you can go and look at uh, the story that Jonathan Kopanger wrote. He sat in on the interview, and... It focuses on the fact that, listen, basically, Senior Chief Beck believes that everything is temporary. Labels are just that. You know, hey, yeah, I was a SEAL. Great. Got that. Transgendered. Great. Got that. But kind of looks at it as, uh, you know, says life. Uh, I think the words uh, that were used, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, were, you know, just a vessel for 70 years, turn back into dirt. It's about what you do with it. it. It was a fascinating conversation, and I look forward to playing it for our audience tomorrow. Um, coming up later on today, we're going to talk to Concerned Veterans for America. So, Jake, Concerned Veterans for America, when you hear that name, what do you think of? The Koch brothers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> hey, some people do, man. Some, that's the, yeah, a little that's bit, the first no. thing out of some people's minds. Of course, you know, money for things has to come from wherever it's right. going to come and, from. And by more, I think, of a politically active uh, veterans group. Because to me, I mean, we, we, I heard snippets of your interview as you were just editing it before the show. And to me, I think it's important that we have politically active groups like them, like yeah. Vote Vets. Yeah. So we get sort of the breadth of experience from veterans because, as you often say, we're not monolith. Nope. We're not, we don't all represent a single viewpoint. Let me clarify. I was not editing the interview as in rearranging anything. I was editing for time. So I was yeah, taking, I, I'm sorry. I was taking it, yeah. my own stupid voice out of... He was uh, totally editing it to make Concerned Veterans America sound stupid because he's a giant hippie. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, that's me. Look at my tie-dye shirt and my uh, Birkenstocks and... The patchouli uh, oil. Patchouli oil. I'm just all about patchouli oil and Tiva sandals with wool socks underneath them. <laughs> That's my life. And a ponytail that you can never see because uh, every picture that's ever taken me, I make sure it's from the hey, front. what's wrong so people, with ponytails? I, you know, nothing. Dirty, stinky hippies. <laughs> if that's what you want to be, you you go be yourself and you do what you want. So, yeah, I, I you know, it was interesting to sit down and talk with them. We talked with them um, last week, actually, and we're playing it today. We wanted to... Uh, 
uh, hold off on airing that because they had a big announcement that was coming uh, and we wanted to talk about that announcement, but the announcement hadn't been made. So, you know, it was one of those things. Um, There is a lot going on with them. They uh, answered some questions for me about what they want from the VA, because if you talk to some people, Concerned Veterans for America wants total dismantling of the VA, essentially. They want the VA to be done and gone, no place for it, send everybody out into the uh, the civilian world. That is uh, not what they say they want. You'll have to listen to the interview coming up in our next segment here to figure out exactly what it is that they are looking for. But it's a... Um, I don't know. It seems that in this day and age, everybody's got to paint everyone into this black and white box when in, yeah. in in reality, there's a lot of grays in a lot of areas and there's a lot of things going on. Um, you know, so talking to Dan and John from Concerned Veterans for America about uh, their organization and the Concerned Veterans for America Foundation. So they are uh, a politically active group. Their foundation is not going to be a politically active group. Their foundation is going to work on uh, essentially training veterans when they get out, teaching them about uh, you know how to be a veteran and how to access different things that you need, like medical care through the VA and so on and so forth. You'll hear all about it coming up in that next segment. So that's coming up. And then again, tomorrow, you will get to hear from Senior Chief Kristen Beck. I'm telling you, fascinating interview. I had uh, only spoken in person with Senior Chief Beck once before. Uh, we had uh, messaged back and forth trying to find a time uh, to get her to come in on the show and it just uh, didn't work out for a while and then it did this week so we uh, it's it's a fascinating conversation and I mean (laughs) Navy SEALs are are tough people man really tough people just like the Green Berets just like Delta Force Marine Force Recon the Marine Raiders Air Force PJ anyone who works in that special operations scope going to be a tough individual and is going to be uh, an individual who's confident in themselves they have achieved amazing things they know they can take care of themselves they can do a lot of things so hearing uh senior chief's thoughts on a lot of different stuff I i think and i think you probably saw some of this when there was this kind of announcement like oh there's a transgender navy seal I felt like that was going to be kind of weaponized by both sides. People who were like, oh, this is horrible. This is disgusting. This is this. This is that. As well as the people who were like, oh, here's our proof that transgender people are everything, can do everything, or this or that. Senior Chief Beck doesn't seem to have too much interest in being either one of those things. Yeah, it doesn't want to be a symbol. No, it's going to be, you know, going to be what. I, hey, I'm Senior Chief Beck, as, as you'll hear in the interview tomorrow, saying like, hey, you know, people can call me by my rank. That's fine. I just want to be myself. I want to be happy. And I do want to, the, the one thing, the one symbol and example that Senior talked about was uh, wanting to, for any kids going through a similar thing, and there is a suicide rate in the transgender community that's uh, astonishingly high. Yeah. It's like 40 something percent. Um you know, she said that she wants to be an example for those kids. So it's a uh, it's a fascinating interview. Again, you'll get to hear that tomorrow on Concerned Veterans for America coming up later on today. Yeah, if I could just say something real quick. I think going back to what you said earlier about how people, you know, it's not okay to be a transgender seal, but it's okay to be the big, strong, rough, tough guy. I Jocko think, Willing. Yeah, Jocko which Willing. Which is at, yeah. actually <laughs> Senior Chief Beck had some had some words about Jocko. Yeah, I think uh, during I the think interview. that's because. 
people have this image in their heads of the most elite warriors right. in America that they're these big, rough, alpha male types that are just yeah. you know so tough. So when they see this, they're they're actually are uh, come have a varied background and that it's not just yeah. one type of person it shocks them there's there's i mean there are gay navy seals uh some of whom are out some are not there are uh, there's at least one transgender navy seal there was also a transgender phony seal years ago oh, that I remember yeah that. I remember you remember that, that one the yeah. one with the uh the blonde hair who was uniform was all sorts of jacked up um you know th there are a, a lot of different people in this world and what matters to me when it comes to Senior Chief Beck is that 20 years of honorable service, that purple heart, those bronze stars. I th This is someone who is uh, did amazing things, wearing the uniform and, and what, what they decide to do afterwards, what she decides to do afterwards. Do whatever you want. Yeah, it doesn't you've, matter to me. You've earned that. And anyone who... Uh, who is so virulently opposed to that? It's it's weird to me. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, my life philosophy has always been: as long as you don't interfere, don't interfere with my life, liberty, or pursuit yeah. of happiness, yeah. do what you want. I don't care. I, I wonder. Do you think there's some people out there who think that like oh, the transgenders are going to come for us and they're going to make us all transgender? Oh, yeah, men will be women. Women will be men. Cats will be dogs. Dogs will be cats. They thought that about the gays. Oh well, that did happen, didn't it? Isn't everybody gay now? I are you not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a fascinating thing, and and it's uh, I'm t I'm telling you, Senior Chief Beck has a lot of uh, strong opinions on things, and one of those things is service dogs. Uh, senior oh, had yeah, the that, service that, dog yesterday. That's the most important thing of when she came in was that she was instantly the most popular person in the entire building. Oh yeah, because she had her service with dog, dog with her. But she also talked about uh, some of the things that that. People do wrong when it comes to service dogs coming up and trying to call the dog over. Uh, and that led to a, a pretty fascinating story that apparently almost ended in a very, very bad night for one gentleman somewhere <laughs> in Washington, D.C. So, yeah, that's going to be a good one. That's going on uh, tomorrow. Today, of course, is the meat of Amazon Prime Day. Jake, you did a story yesterday on the hottest deals for Amazon Prime Day. Of course, there are... Um, deals that come up throughout the day and then end and all that stuff but what were some of the things that you found like what are people what should people really be looking out for today well it see that's the thing about it is that over a million items are on sale so it's a little bit of everything like what i focused on is the expensive stuff like electronics like gaming and pcs and stuff like that because that's the stuff that really i think you know well it matters right. to me so but honestly there's major appliances on sale there's carpeting there's they have deals for their grocery delivery service they yeah. have deals for kindle for audible and all these other things there are um the, the one thing that i want is a new tv our tv is like one of those old kind of thicker ones it's heavy the screen has some some burn into it now like if you are watching a news channel or a sports game anything that has a bug you know where they put the score or yeah. the whatever the channel is you turn off the tv and you can still see it there you change ah. the channel and you can still see it there is it a plasma? Uh, who knows? It's, it's, <laughs> it's old. I don't even know how old it is because it was actually, we've got several TVs in the house. We've got one in the guest room, one in the living room, one in our bedroom. The one in the living room, the biggest one, that was her TV. That was never mine, so I don't even know when it came into being. Uh, but there is a, uh, you have one on here that was the Sony 55-inch 4K Ultra HD Smart LED TV. And it's like less than 500 bucks, man. Yeah. I think that sale is now over. 
Yeah, mm. because like what they say is it's basically Black Friday in July, which makes a lot of sense because I'm for my TV I have I bought on Black Friday. It's a sixty inch. And I got it for under 600 bucks. Wow. So that's what this is. But I also found out that some other companies are trying to sneak their way into it, as in Walmart. Uh, Amazon had a deal on a Nintendo Switch and yeah. a game that would go for, I think it was like 289 Well, after that deal ended, uh, Walmart came out with a deal of the Nintendo Switch and a game for a price that's lower than what Amazon is offering. Really? So they, they did a little bit of price matching. I also saw something about eBay was doing some sales. Because eBay, which I still think of as like you know, when I was in Keflavik, Iceland 20 years ago, uh, ordering my first ever digital camera, which was this little tiny piece of crap. It held like 10 pictures on it. The pictures, it was actually screwed up as soon as I got it. But it, it was a bidding website. eBay actually sells stuff there. Yeah, now there's too. a whole marketplace there now. Yeah, so there's uh, there's a lot of people trying to, to horn in on the Amazon uh, Amazon Prime Day thing going on there. But if you keep an eye on the website today, I'm I'm going to have I have to keep an eye on some of these TVs that are going on there because I really I just want a new TV. And my wife is like, oh, we don't need to spend the money on that. I'm like, well, yeah, we do. What else do we need to spend the money on <laughs> besides our new couch? We got a new couch, which that's fantastic. And now I'm finally comfortable sitting there watching television so that's huge especially when you have back and shoulder and other issues that i have which oh man last night hot bath for like an hour plus as hot as i could get just turned it all the way up let it fill up got in there and did that then did icy hot then did a nice <laughs> big old-fashioned a handful of ibuprofen my shoulder was in so much pain last night it, it, I don't know what I did to it, but I got a massage this weekend to start working it out, and it did a good job, but then needed a little bit more. So, oh, man, I had to do full work on it. It was like a two-hour process to get this thing loosened out last night. That's what happens when you get old. Also, when you're not in the greatest of shape, which yeah. many Speaking of, of which, yesterday, I, f I finally took the plunge. I went and found a gym. And uh, Wednesday, I have an appointment with one of their personal trainers to help me develop a program. So nice. I actually, I didn't worry. This is the thing is, I said, Monday, I'm going to start working out. I actually didn't end up working out because I had to gym shop a little bit. And then I had to come back so I could update the Amazon article. Right. But, you know, I took the first step. That's, That's the most important. Yeah, it certainly is. And I was actually, so I was planning on going to my jujitsu class last night, but then I ended up having to pick up my son from school. My wife was working late and it just it didn't work out, but I've got to start going again three days a week. It's been like two months since I went for a full Monday, Wednesday, Friday of it. And I love it. It's a lot of fun. People there are great. It's a great workout. You know, yeah, I hurt a little bit the next day, but it, it, it's that good kind of hurt. You know what else I was thinking about, Jake, that I think, uh, that I was thinking of doing that I want to do? Yoga. Yoga is supposedly a very good workout. It is, and it's also good for dexterity and limberness and so being able to stretch. I can't stretch right now. My back is so tight. I think that the I think that getting my back loosened up through yoga might be the way to go about it. Because I can't afford the reverse hyper machine that you can put in your house. It's like a, a stretching machine for your back, basically, but costs way too much money for me right. to be buying it. Oh, the thing that like hangs you upside down. No, no, no. Those are those are uh, no. This this is like it's like a table that you kind of lay down on, and it's uh, it, you kind of lift weights with it, but you're doing it. I'll show you later. It's uh, it's an interesting <laughs> thing, of course. Anyone who listens to the uh, the Joe Rogan podcast will know all about the reverse hyper. It's this machine that was invented by a guy and. 
It's just supposed to be great for decompressing your back and your uh, your neck and all that stuff, which is what I need to do. But yoga is something that I keep hearing people talk about it. My wife has said for years, you know, you should go and try this. It would be great for you. And we would go on vacation. She usually tries to find a yoga class to do and all that stuff. I, I, I feel like I really should. And I feel like it would be a good thing. But you know what? And this is uh, this is a big thing in our community. Well, a lot of people talk about things like this, and then how many actually go out and do them? Yeah. You know? the, the thing about yoga is it can be very frustrating, especially when you're first starting, because you're using these muscles to balance that you don't normally use. So something as simple as standing on one foot and leaning forward is like the hardest thing in the world. Yeah. No, I can imagine. And then there's, of course, the uh, Bikram yoga. That's the hot yoga. My cousin, who lives out in the uh, Southwest, is actually a... Bikram yoga instructor, I think. And of course, it's founded by a guy who's a creep and a half. So <laughs> you've got that to uh, consider. But the hot yoga is supposed to be even better for you. You're basically doing yoga in like 110 degrees in these rooms. Where Why they would you do that up. voluntarily? Because it's a, it, it's an even better workout. You sweat out all the toxins in your system and it uh, it helps you loosen up that heat. You know, it's it's it can be a bad thing or a good thing. It's kind of like being in a sauna is good. Um, being in the desert is not, you don't want to be out there, but I, I don't know. It's one of those things that I was thinking about it the other day and, and really considering looking for a place and trying to find a place to actually go and do some yoga because I, my back stuff, man, I can't, I just can't, I don't, I don't want to think about what it's going to be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if I make it that far, what my back is going to feel like. So I think I've, I think I've got to do it. I think I've got to. And you taking your first step to the gym, just like me short time ago, taking my first step to the uh, jujitsu school and now uh, yoga thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm going to see what I can find today and then see if there's something where just go maybe a couple times a week. Yeah. The other issue is cost. And then, of course, I have a family, so it's not like the two of us can do something at the same time. Somebody's got to be watching the kid, and the kid, unfortunately, is uh, not the sit-still type for, <laughs> for an hour while you're at a class. Like, I can't bring him to jujitsu. I'm not going to be able to bring him to yoga, so that kind of thing. But, you know, it's, it's still, you got to find a way, I think. Because what's the other option? For me, uh, get fatter and back hurt more. Yeah. Oh, good. For, that sounds for me, it's just that, like, I know for a fact that once I actually start working, because I've got my eating under control, I've been watching my calories, but so I know once I start working out, the weight's just going to fall off. Yeah. But the the, the the thing is, find the motivation to do it. Yeah. And for me, that came a couple of weeks ago when I looked myself in the mirror without a shirt on, and I was just like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and, and I was, you know, like back in high school, I played sports and all that stuff. And every time that I've gotten out of shape and then got back into working out in some way, it, it does fall off rather quickly. My body does tend to pop back into shape uh, faster rather than slower. Although the older you get, the harder that is to do. So, uh, you know, it's something that we've all got to work on. And I, yeah, I just, I don't know why I've got yoga stuck in my head, probably because of this shoulder issue as I was sitting submerged in a boiling hot bathtub <laughs> last night. Like, you know, what would be nice is to not have to burn myself to get the, uh, the muscles worked out. So I, I was thinking maybe that is, maybe that is the answer, but whatever 
it is that you find that gets you to that spot, like Jake just finding his gym, that's uh, that's a good thing. And, you know, we talked to Tori Scotty recently. She's a personal trainer, does online personal training classes, which is pretty interesting. So that's going to put more of the onus on you because you could lie to her and be like, yeah, I did 775 push-ups. <laughs> I know you only told me to do 25, but I did an extra 750 just because I'm bad. Yeah, and by the way, my name is Chef Rush. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, he does 2,200 three ah. times a week. Of course, he's got a lot of fuel. He eats four full chickens a day and all that stuff. Speaking of which, if you want to find interviews with people like Tori Scotty, Chef Rush, every guest that we've had on the morning briefing, we're talking senators, we're talking generals, we're talking SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, everybody you could imagine, go to ConnectingVets.com. And actually, if you go up to the top, click on the menu button right there, go to Podcasts. The morning briefing is right there. It's right there. You can just click on it, go in, you can scroll down and find each day Jake uploads the show. There might be a couple missing uh, throughout throughout the days over there. Jake uploads the show and it gives you a little description of exactly who is on the show. So you should definitely go and check all that stuff out. And of course, you should be following us on social media where we are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. A little click of your mouse or tap on your phone and you'll be living your best veteran life. Coming up later on today, we are going to speak to Concerned Veterans for America. Actually, no, coming up next, we're going to speak to Concerned Veterans <laughs> for America. And then coming up later, Justin Brown from Hill Vets will join us to talk about what's going on around Capitol Hill and what veterans are doing within the political space, the world of politics. Actually, two, two, two politically related uh, interviews today that we're doing, wow. Justin, our normal Tuesday interview, and then our first time having Concerned Veterans for America join us on the show. Be so, careful. Uh, we're turning we're turn into a 24-hour news, news station with no, politics no, every other day. No, that'll never happen. We just spent 25 Five minutes talking about yoga and how I want a new TV. So. <laughs> Counterpoint. You're listening to the morning briefing. Eric Day and Jake Hughes back after this with Concerned Veterans for America. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at Connecting Vets. next guests are part of an organization that has a large social media following and has a large voice in the world of veterans in general. They are Concerned Veterans for America, and right now we're welcoming their executive director, Dan Caldwell, and project manager, John Burns, to the studio. Dan, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us on. Now, John, let's start with you very briefly. I understand that you served not only in the Marine Corps, you also decided to give the Army a try. What was that all about? So that's correct. I, I joined the Marine Corps uh, during the Gulf War back in the 90s. I did four years on active duty. I got out, uh, went to work uh, in the civilian world, uh, ran a restaurant. And just after four or five years of running a restaurant, I kind of felt like I wasn't quite connected to what I should be doing. And I wanted to go back to college. Um, there was an opportunity to co- combine the GI Bill with National Guard mm. tuition assistance payments. So in September of the year 2000, uh, I swore into the New York Army National Guard. And 12 months later, I found myself staring into a big hole in the ground in lower Manhattan and uh, suddenly realized that being in the National Guard was as real as being in the Marine Corps or the Army. 
Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think it's easy for some people to forget that, to think about guard and reserve status as something totally different. Uh, it's different, but it's not totally different. You're still doing the same thing. Dan Caldwell, he decided to stay true to the Marine Corps, only served in the Marine Corps as far as I know. So, Dan, give us the Cliff Notes version of your service in the Corps. I, I spent four years in the Marine Corps. Uh, my first two years, I was part of what's called the Yankee White Program. Uh, which is also called the Presidential Support Program. So I spent some time not too far from here at the Marine Barracks and then also at uh, Camp David, the Presidential Retreat. From there, I went to the Fleet Marine Force, 1st Marine Divisions as a grunt, uh, deployed to Iraq with them, and then got out. Um, and from there, I went back to school. I wasn't a big fan of school, so I, I blew through it and as quickly as I can. you know, I know a lot of vets do this, took 20 credits, loaded up. Uh, and then I started at an internship in my local congressman's office where I was helping out with VA constituent casework. And so that was kind of my introduction to veterans policy and defense policy and really got my first real exposure to the VA. So I worked for the congressman for a few years. And then from there, I was connected with Concerned Veterans for America, and I've been with them for the last five years now. John, how about you? How did you come into working uh, within the veteran community? Was it something that you'd always planned on or something that just kind of happened? It more or less just kind of happened. Uh, my first first combat tour when I went to Iraq in 2004, I came back and I had one semester to finish at the City University in New York. And the, the university was so um, obsolete in its view of the way it should treat veterans didn't really recognize uh, National Guard and Reserve members as veterans. Uh, so I kind of ended up kicking in some doors, uh, got invited to uh, join the City University's Veteran Advisory Board, um, and it kind of became a passion from there. I did, I st did a startup for a veterans nonprofit in North Carolina. Uh, I was part of some other veterans organizations that were focused on policy back in the late 2000s, and uh, I was invited to join Concerned Veterans for America uh, at the very start back in 2012, and, and I've been with either Concerned Veterans for America or the foundation ever since. Dan, what do you remember about your transition time and moving to that veteran status, and, and what would you say got you through that? You know, that, that's a very good question. Uh, for me, <clears throat> I got back from Iraq, and within a month and a half, I was on terminal leave applying to go back to Arizona State University to finish uh, my college education. Um, and that's a very quick transition. Um, I was very fortunate. I, I didn't have um, some of the issues that, that many veterans do run into. I was very blessed to have a supportive family, and they were really the ones that got me through. I didn't want to finish college, but my grandfather, who went uh, uh, into the Army in the 50s, got his education on the GI Bill, was very successful. There was a point where I wanted to quit. He basically told me, you better stay in or else. Mm -hmm. And he kept me in, but um, it, it, it was a jarring transition. Again, I, I was fortunate to have that family, and I, I didn't run into some issues that others have, but going from Iraq and then a month and a half later to a college campus, it, it's a huge transition, and, and, and I, I struggled with it at times. Um, the big thing, I didn't like to go on college campuses, mm -hmm. so I loaded up on as many online courses as I could. I took that one course on campus so I could still qualify for all the GI Bill benefits, but my thing was, as I said earlier, I'm just going to load up on credits, get through this as quickly as possible. And I did. And uh, um, that was kind of my experience. So getting into after college, I will say the the VA world, helping out veterans who are having issues with VA benefits and the DOD, that was very helpful to me to kind of reconnecting my civilian life back to my military service and kind of set me on the path that I did now. It's kind of interesting how some of the difficulties that we can have in dealing with the VA and dealing with the GI Bill, oftentimes the people who have the worst problems with that end up becoming subject matter experts and, and working within that field. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But John, 
Let me ask you. You've gone through it a couple of times. You left the Corps, and then you go into the National Guard. First time or second time go better for you in leaving the service? I'd say the second time went the best. The first time and the third time were pretty rough. And uh, what I learned is it's okay to have plans, but if you don't have a plan, you're going to find yourself trying to make decisions between which plans you have. So when I got, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had a bunch of plans. Um, I ended up running a restaurant, which was something that I had always thought I could do, uh, but it wasn't what I really wanted to do. And it wasn't until I kind of sat down, did some, some, some hard paperwork, decision cycle paperwork, and said, what do you really want to do? Where do you want to be in five, 10 years? I realized I really wanted to go to college. And I came up with a plan that I was able to execute, even with, with uh, you know, state active duty, homeland security missions, and deployments overseas to Iraq. I was able to execute that plan within, within five years. Hmm. So having a plan, you, know, you can be a little flexible, but you need one path, not a bunch of things that you're willing to do. For those who are unfamiliar with CVA, explain exactly what Concerned Veterans for America is all about. So we are a veterans advocacy organization with the mission to advocate for policies that preserve the freedom and prosperity that we fought and sacrificed for while in uniform. What we are primarily focused on is advancing policy that solves some core issues with the VA, the Department of Defense, and also issues that don't just affect veterans, but the country as a whole. So we talk about the threat of our national debt. We talk about the need to protect free speech. So while we we are focused a lot on helping veterans and military families through policy change, we don't just want to be um, focusing on just things that affect veterans. We fought for the country, not just veterans and military families. So while we get a lot of attention for our work around the VA, we have a much broader policy portfolio. And when I say we're, we're an advocacy organization, we aren't officially a veteran service organization. We don't have service officers, despite policy disagreements we may or may not have with you know, groups like the American Legion, we think their veteran service officers do a great job, so we didn't want to replicate that. But we have focused a lot on organizing veterans at the grassroots level to be those policy advocates, to go to their members of Congress, to go to these federal agencies and say, hey, things aren't working, we need to change it, and then also providing policy proposals and plans to fix things. So we're going into these congressional offices, we're meeting with people at the White House and saying, this is what we think should happen. And by the way, out in your states, we have a grassroots army that is advocating for these policies. And if you are doing the right thing, you're going to hear from them and you're going to hear good things. And if you're not doing the right thing, you're going to hear definitely from people in your districts and in your states that you need to go ahead and support policies that we think are going to help veterans, military families and the country as a whole. Of course, when you talk about the VSOs, you talk about the Legion, the VFW, they try to remain as, as nonpartisan, as nonpolitical as they can, which is fantastic in some ways, I think. It also puts some limitations on what they can or can't do and say. How important do you think it is to have organizations like your own and, let's take the extreme other side of the cord, like Vote Vets or somebody like that, how important do you think it is to have those organizations that are, that are willing to take a stand on something and be a little bit more political and, and advocate in that different way? Well, I, I think it's it's good to have groups across the spectrum that operate in a in an environment where they try not to rock the boat politically. They focus on service and charities. And I also do think you do need groups like Concerned Veterans for America. And look, even though we disagree with them severely, like Vote Vets, <laughs> I think it's great that Vote Vets is out there doing what they're doing. I, I believe in free speech. I believe in freedom of association. They should have the right to do what they're doing. Now they they disagree with us vociferously. They don't, you know, support a lot of the things that we do. But again, I we believe in freedom of speech, freedom of association. We think that's great that what they're doing. Um, I, I think that you do need to have a group 
like Concerned Veterans for America that is willing to go into different states and, and point people out, uh, particularly elected members of, of Congress, uh, who aren't doing the right thing on these issues or who ignored an issue or who didn't do the right thing. And if you don't have that, then policy change won't happen. I truly believe that if you didn't have a group like Concerned Veterans for America around, you wouldn't have seen some of the changes you've seen at the VA over the past few years because there wasn't the incentive for politicians to do the right thing on these issues before you had us and others uh, really calling them out. It's really, I hate to say it, for a lot of politicians, it's fear of getting called out by Mm -hmm. Concerned Veterans for America and others that has compelled them to do the right thing around some of these issues. So I, I do think it's important that you, you have groups that stay away from politics. Um, you know, historically, if you go back 50, 60 years, really around the time of the Great Depression um, and after World War II, the American Legion of VFW were more political. At one point, the VFW had a pack. Where they're at now is they, they try to avoid outright partisan pol- politics. I'll, I'll leave that to their leadership to determine if they think that's the best place for them to be. Um, we are a nonpartisan organization. We aren't Republican and Democrat. We've called out Republicans and Democrats. Right. Uh, but we, we, we are not afraid to say that what we are willing to do is go into the political realm and say, look, this is what a politician is doing wrong and right. And we do that simply to advance policy, not to elect one party over the other. And that, I think, is a difference between us and some other more outright partisan organizations like groups affiliated with the RNC or DNC. At the end of the day, we engage in the political realm to advance policy, not one party over the other. Yeah, and that's a a good point to bring up, and that's something that I hadn't really thought about, because honestly, there are those people who hear Concerned Vets for America, and they substitute Conservative Vets for America, and they assume that you have only one view on everything, and it sounds like that's not the case. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. We do normally align with more conservative principles, but at the end of the day, there have been a lot of Republicans that have not, in our view, done the right thing on these issues. And there's also been Democrats who in many cases have been better than many Republicans on these issues. Mm-hmm. You know, one person in particular that I point out is representing Kirsten Cinema out in Arizona. She's a Democrat. She used to be a very far left Democrat. She's been absolutely great on her issues. And there's there's Republicans now uh, who are trying to undo the VA Accountability and Whistleblower Protection Act, hmm. which is a big was a big um, issue for us and even the Veteran Service Organization. So we're going to say when Kirsten Cinema is doing the right thing, even though she's a Democrat and people perceive us as a as a more right leaning organization, we're going to say she's doing the right thing. Some of these Republicans uh, that that right now are trying to undo the the Accountability Act, we're going to call them out too. You are, as you said, probably most commonly linked to the debate over the VA. And I've heard a lot of people that I don't think have spoken to you guys directly and know all that much about you say a lot of things about, oh, I know what they're all about. They want to totally dismantle the VA. They want the VA to not exist in essence. Is that what Concerned Veterans for America wants when it comes to the VA? Or what is the end goal for CVA with that organization? Uh, We want the VA to be a good choice for veterans. We want it to be a agency that provides benefits and health care in a timely manner. The, the VA is essential to our national security because when you raise your hand and take an oath to enlist, you're doing so under the assumption that once you leave the service, you will have a health care system that can take care of you if you're injured in line of service, wounded in line of service, whatever. Um, 
And you also have access to certain benefits like the GI Bill, the VA home loan programs, all programs that I've used, by the way, um, to help you transition back into civilian life. So we recognize the need for the VA. And if we wanted to dismantle the VA, quite frankly, we'd come out and say it. We, we aren't afraid to take unpopular policy positions. Um, but what we ultimately believe needs to happen, specifically the VA healthcare system, is that we need veterans to have healthcare choice. We need to have veterans in control of where they use their health care, uh, not a government bureaucrat. And every other VA benefit has choice in it. Whether you have the home loan program, the GI Bill, you can choose where you use that benefit. There's not a VA university that you have to go to. There's not a VA bank that you have to go to. The VA health care benefit is really the only government-run health care program where there isn't an element of choice. Mm. And we think that needs to change. Um, some have called that privatization. You know, I don't like to engage in this, you know, redefining words. Privatization means taking the VA and completely selling it off to a corporation and dismantling it. For choice to work, the VA needs to be a choice. And we think there there needs to be things in, done internally at the VA to make it a stronger choice. And we think there needs to be a community healthcare provider choice. But at the end of the day, we everything that we believe in requires the VA to still be around, and it it wouldn't lead to the dismantling of the VA. I, I, the privatization thing, the the it's kind of a loaded term these days. I mean, it's it's a word that has a a definition that you just stated. Privatization means it no, it's it's now run by a company. It's no longer government operated, and that's not what you're looking and, for. And you know, on some level, it frustrates the, the fact that privatization is thrown out so much, and and people are are attacking things as privatization that that clearly aren't privatization. Mm. It does frustrate it, me, but I understand why certain individuals are using the privatization attack against proposals that we've supported and the president and others have supported. It's because when you when it's not choice and it's privatization it becomes less popular. Mm. It's a poll tested attack against what are very popular proposals, and I'm talking ninety percent in support of giving veterans choice. Um, and and that's just a way to, to to redefine the debate. It's a political tactic. I don't like it, but I understand it. Mm. Moving away from concerned veterans for America and their interaction with the VA on an advocacy level, let's talk about something new that's just been announced. And John, I want to bring you to the forefront of the conversation here because as I understand it, you're going to be the head man in charge for the Concerned Veterans for America Foundation. Tell me about the foundation and what it is and how it's different from Concerned Veterans America, the organization that we all know. Sure. So I'm, I'm the project manager for the foundation. Concerned Veterans for America actually has a project manager that works on their specific issue set. Uh, the foundation is different because we focus on education, issue education. Uh, we focus on the veterans themselves, um, making them both uh, healthier, wealthier, more prosperous, and better, better, um, better versed in the freedom that they've stood up for. So we have a kind of a, a, a short mission tagline that's to care for those who've stood up to protect our freedom and to take up the watch so that that freedom endures. And that's kind of our twin mission set. You know, uh, Concerned Veterans for America um, as it developed all of these these issue advocacy procedures, became very, very good at uh, educating and and talking to veterans and getting them together um, and organizing them on a grassroots level. So we want to kind of leverage that capacity that the, the CVA, Concerned Veterans for America piece had, and take that and become an issue education, education organization that helps veterans prosper and become great ambassadors for the freedom that they've already stood up for to protect. 
How exactly do you plan to do that through the foundation? In what ways is it going to help veterans in those areas? Sure. So we're gonna we're gonna we're working on uh, developing a veteran entrepreneurship piece that teaches veterans to be principled entrepreneurs. Uh, working with you know with other foundation partners like Bunker Labs and and the Capital Post and, and other organizations that are working in the veterans entrepreneurship sphere. Working with them to make sure that, that the veterans are getting a principled view of entrepreneurship. That they take those values that they learn, whether it's the Army values, Marine Corps uh, leadership principles, that they take those core values into their entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship doesn't have to be just you know owning a business; it can be just being a better investor with your retirement fund, right? But taking those principles in there, learning how how things like integrity can actually make you a better investor or a better businessman, and develop that prosperity for your family. So we're doing things like that. We're also working with some of our in-network partners, like the Grassroots Leadership Academy, to develop specific training programs on things like the VA. Mission Act and how that's going to help veterans better access that healthcare at the VA. How it expands their choice options there. Um, we're going to we're going to educate them about how the VA works, and we're going to take the, and we're going to educate them about how freedom works. Right, how the Bill of Rights secures their freedom, and how it's really important for them to understand the Constitution that they swore an oath to, their kind of connection to it, and why they're the, probably the best ambassadors that this country has for freedom and, and that idea of a constitutional government. Dan, you had just mentioned the service officers for the Legion, the VFW, do amazing work over there. Do you see your Concerned Veterans for America Foundation as kind of supplementing the work that the VSOs do? It sounds like it's working in a similar space, though not doing exactly what they do as far as helping out like we, paperwork. We want to, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. And this is something that John and I have talked about a lot. We want to supplement, not replace. Again, I can't emphasize enough whatever policy disagreements that we have. I respect the work that these organizations do with their service officers. When I was working for a member of Congress, I used to refer people to an Ameri uh, American Legion service officer to apply for benefits um, since we didn't want to apply through the office for those benefits. So we, we've, we're identifying gaps where we think we can add value and not replicate or try and push out somebody from a certain space because that, at the end of the day, won't help veterans. That will hurt them. And that is the key, is helping veterans. And that's what Concerned Veterans America are trying to do with the launch of the Concerned Veterans for America Foundation. When did you decide that you wanted to do this? Is this something that's been kind of uh, bouncing around in the Concerned Veterans for America Brain Trust for a while? Or is it a relatively new idea, John? So it's been it's definitely been in our brain trust going back a couple of years. Um, and we have been so busy with the advocacy piece and the policy piece, especially since since uh, 2014 and the Phoenix VA scandal, uh, we, we got focused like lasers on standing up to the VA and helping veterans with that. Um, you know, and we went through 2016, um, an election cycle where the talk about the VA was very important. I mean, the president came out and kind of endorsed our ideas of providing choice to veterans. And as we rolled into last year, we realized that it really was getting time that that, that foundation piece that we'd talked about for so long got stood up. And, uh, you know, we had a kind of a process here in 2017 where we looked at um, what could work, what we should be doing. And as we rolled into 2018, you know, we had a, we had a meeting late last year for exactly what we wanted to do with it. Uh, Dan went ahead and kind of pulled the trigger and said, we're going we're gonna to have this launch in, uh, in 2018. And he, uh, he invited me to come on board to move over into this role and to, to manage the process. Is it surprising or frustrating to the two of you how few veterans seem to know what benefits are available to them or how to actually access those benefits? Does it seem like it should be a simpler process that's easier to understand, or do you think the veterans are more at fault for not doing their due diligence and finding it out? Well, I, I would say that in regards to the current benefit system, I think that there needs to be a lot of changes to how 
veterans receive certain benefits, and I'm not talking about like ending certain benefit programs. I'm talking more about streamlining a lot of systems within the VA. Um, my first real introduction to the VA was dealing with the results of the the disability claims backlog that really began in earnest in a 2010-2011, where you had out in Phoenix, Arizona, you had veterans who were using that regional office who were Iraq and Afghanistan vets and people with Purple Hearts who had their claims stopped because the VA had to go back and re-adjudicate claims around Agent Orange from 30, 40 years ago. And a lot of that backlog was a result of the fact the VA was still doing a lot of things by hand, by paper, and, and things like that. Um, and a lot of veterans heard about these problems. I think a lot of them were dissuaded from applying for benefits that that they didn't that that they that they needed. And on the other hand, too, you had a lot of veterans that I have to candidly say started to look at how can I get the most out of something like disability benefits mm-hmm. and and. Obviously, a lot of veterans need those benefits because of injuries sustained in service or in combat. But you also had this this a lot of veterans rushing into the system to try and get a certain percentage. So I think that that it cuts both ways. I think that this the military, the DoD, has not done a great job in educating veterans getting out of the service on what's available to them and what they should do. I remember my own TAPS <laughs> program. I went through that a month before I went to Iraq. And me and, and all these other NCOs who are thinking about how am I going to get my fire teams, my squads ready, my vehicle crews ready for Iraq, having to sit in a classroom for a week with somebody just reading off a PowerPoint. It was a joke. Yeah. And everything that we'd learned in there, we'd all forgotten by the time we got back from Iraq a year later. So I think that's a big part of it. I think DOD um, needs to help. And I think that's actually one of the, the good good things about Robert Wilkie being nominated because he's been on the other side of the uh, the equation working at DOD. So he's bringing that knowledge over to the VA side to help with that process. Should uh, help with the seamlessness. <laughs> That's a very tough word to use when talking about the DOD or the VA with anything. It's not ever going to be seamless, but maybe make some things a little bit smoother as people transition as we look at electronic healthcare records and so many other things. Well, there's a new player in the game to help out veterans in dealing with those and finding out about benefits. The Concerned Veterans for America Foundation and we've been speaking with the executive director of CVA, Dan Caldwell, and project manager, John Burns, who's heading up the foundation. Dan, John, if people want to find out more about the foundation, is there a website they can go to, a Facebook page? How do they find out more? Well, there's, there's a webpage for both the foundation and CVA. Um, it's uh, www.cvafoundation.org. Um, we also have a Facebook page, so if you just go on to uh, Facebook, uh, Concerned Veterans for America Foundation, we have a Twitter feed, uh, uh, at CVA Foundation. Uh, you know, we're on online, we're on the web, and actually, you know, we're out in the communities. We're, we're doing shows like this, we're, we're talking to folks uh, where Concerned Veterans for America has grassroots offices doing these education pieces. But yeah, you can find us online on Facebook or, or on Twitter. Dan Caldwell and John Burns have been our guests. And Dan, anything else you'd like to add? So for the Concerned Veterans for America side of the house, um, if you want to find out more about CVA, uh, our website is www.cv4a.org. And you can also find us on Facebook by just searching Concerned Veterans for America. Uh, and also, too, uh, finding us on Twitter at Concerned Vets. And we have different state pages for each state where we have a full-time 
grassroots field representative. I'd encourage you, uh, if you're interested in getting involved in us, to find those pages because they post a lot of info about local events. Well, fantastic stuff, guys. Thank you, Dan and John, for joining us. And thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, good luck on the Concerned Veterans for America Foundation. I look forward to keeping an eye on how things progress. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having us on. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing, Tuesday, July 17th, 2018 edition. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and ConnectingVets.com is your website. And we mean that. Created by veterans, for veterans, focusing on the veteran experience, making sure that you have the information you should know, the information you'd want to know, and the information we think you need to know. You'll find all of it at ConnectingVets.com and, of course, by following us on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Even though our explosive interview with Senior Chief Kristen Beck, the retired United States Navy SEAL, who happens to be transgender, that interview is not going to air until tomorrow's morning briefing show, but the first of what's probably going to be a couple of stories coming out of it is already up on the site. So go check that out and check out more, ConnectingVets.com. And then again, on social media, we are at ConnectingVets. Our next guest is a Navy veteran. That's how you know he's good people. (laughs) He's also the founder and CEO of Hill Vets, a wonderful organization that's working to get veterans onto congressional staffs and into federal agencies on both sides of the aisle, all around Washington, D.C., and around the country, not just in our nation's capital. Hill Vets wants more veterans involved in politics from the ground floor on up. He is Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, and joins us on the morning briefing today. Justin, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fantastic. Glad to to see you in person. Last week didn't work out, so you had to call in, but, you know, hearing your voice is better than nothing. I suppose. Yeah, that's probably true. And then the next day, I did get to see you in person at the Service Member of the Year Awards for uh, Military Times. Uh, how was your experience at the awards that night? Pretty good? Yeah, it was incredible. It was, uh, you know, we were certainly happy to be a part of that uh, as an organization. Military Times helps us with our Hill Vets 100 Gala every year. So uh, great to be on hand. Great to see so many in- incredible service members being highlighted for, you know, the incredible contributions that they've made. And, you know, when you're only picking one, uh, service member for each branch. It's uh, tough. It is tough, but you know it. It, it, it uh, you know the the stories that come forward from you know the the especially the enlisted men and women within our forces is just great to hear. It is, and what I like about the Service Member of the Year awards and what Military Times does there is it's not about checking off the boxes that the you know Sailor of the Year, us being Navy vets, we'll use that example, Soldier of the Year, Marine of the Year, whatever. For those, there tend to be specific boxes that need to be checked off. It's all about getting the degree, getting the quals, getting this, getting that. Service Member of the Year is is about that to an extent, but really more about what they're doing uh, in their their off time, the, the amazing things that they do. And it was great to see that. And, of course, one of the Hill Vets 100 emceed the event, Leo Shane III, ace crack military reporter uh, and veteran reporter for Military Times, was there uh, hosting That's that right. event. So he's, really good time. He's actually our most highlighted individual. For the yeah, Hill he's Vets been the Hill Vets 100 <laughs> each year. It's been in existence, hasn't it? It's, it that, that's a fact. And, it uh, makes sense. Uh, I mean, he's done great. 
great work and continues to do great work. It's not right. like he's stopped, you know, he's or he's or he's fallen off. Right. If he does, you know, then uh, people will let him know about it. But until that day, keep giving him Hillbex uh, <laughs> 100 recognition. And he you know? writes, he writes like everything that's going on, and you know, he so. does. And actually, yeah. an interesting thing about him. Let's let's make his head blow up a little sure. bit bigger if he let's hears do it. this. Our Matt Sainsing was over on Capitol Hill covering the uh, the Wilkie hearing and happened to look over at Leo while it was going on and said he was just shocked at what he saw. He was working on like a phone, a laptop, a notepad. Like he was multitasking in a way that uh, it, it's, it shocked a fellow reporter who was like, holy cow, this guy's constantly doing it. He's live tweeting it while also catching everything that's going on. And yeah, he does a great job. And it's great that there are people like that covering the veteran experience. Of course, it's also great that he's covering some veterans, and it would be greater if he were covering more veterans who are on congressional staffs in Washington, D.C., but that's what Hill Vets is all about, as well as kind of keeping an eye on what's taking place on Capitol Hill as it relates to veterans. First thing we want to talk about today is that there was a a mini bus. Now, I'm not talking about the short bus that brings kids to school. I'm talking about something uh, like a smaller version of the omnibus spending bill that was supposed to work for funding for federal agencies. Uh, it's apparently not moving forward anymore. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so essentially this is the the Milcon. What's included in this and why it's important for, for veterans is what's included here is that uh, Milcon and VA uh, spending bill, um, which is uh, essentially how we're, we're, we're funding VA. And there was a, apparently a breakdown uh, in, in, in conversations and I guess a bit of a squabble over some funding for the VA Choice Program, mm. how, how they're going to keep that afloat for another year. Um, it, was, it was a bit of a shocker to me. I can tell you that uh, when, when I saw Leo Shane uh, break the story, um, you know, conference tends to happen uh, offline, if you will. Um, this, whatever the the back and forth uh, on this 1.6 billion in funding uh, was, in terms of how to fund the 1.6 billion, I think that's really what's at issue here. Um, it essentially led to the cancellation of the conference, mm. and uh, at this juncture, uh, we really don't know when that's supposed to be rescheduled. I'm sure there's probably gonna be some clarity here pretty soon. This is something that certainly has to get done. It's definitely not something you're gonna kick down the road for long, uh, but you know, the, the, the fighting continues on Capitol Hill and you know, to some degree, nothing is sacred right now. And that's, that's even true in, in, in the veteran space, which historically, uh, you know, I, I'd certainly say we've, I've never seen the level of, of, of partisan fighting that I've that I've seen in the veteran space uh, even comp comparably uh, like I've seen within the last two years yeah it's been really fascinating to watch and things have uh, have changed a little bit uh, noticeably now the the voting on veteran issues when they go through it's uh, it's still you know showing some some wide support for veterans uh, legislation to get passed through but getting it to that point is a bit more of a struggle it seems right now um, when it comes to what Congress is doing in regards to this minibus which could affect the VA choice spending military construction all sorts of stuff that's going on around the world uh, within the military and veteran communities when do they have until to fix it? I mean, is this something they go on summer break fairly soon, I would think, right? When, when are we looking at for them to get some of this legislation done before it becomes a, an even bigger problem? Sure. Well, according to according to what Leo's thrown out there, um, it looks like May 2019 is where they expect um, the existing funding to, 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 to run out and that mm. there would be a gap in funding. Um, you know, with that said, I think 
the funding would run out more quickly than than that because you already have 5.2 billion dollars in bridge funding included in this package so it's essentially looking to add some additional funds to to what's there to not have a gap in the future if that makes sense so um you know definitely some 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 budget concerns coming down the road but i i would say this is pretty par for the course i mean we've 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 been doing this and how many times have we talked about you know some we've been here for just over a year and it's been i think three times four times that that Funding running out for this program has, has become an issue. That we're coming in and we're talking about the, the newest, latest stopgap, and we just kind of move the numbers left or right a little bit, but it's like the same game. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, to some degree, I think it, it you know, also speaks to the fact that, you know, the, the, this whole notion of pushing more funding into the private sector is going to keep coming up short because it's, it's more expensive. Yeah. Um, you know, and, 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 and trying to put a cap on it and find a way to, to get this funding to be, cost-effective, deliver high-quality health care is going to be a real challenge. And, and you know, certainly I, I, I certainly believe personally that, you know, private sector health care has to be part of the solution to best deliver health care to veterans. But part of that's also going to be figuring out how to contain costs, how to make sure you're receiving high-quality health care, con- continuity of health care, um, but without coming back to Congress seemingly every three months talking about a new uh, gap in funding and the need for, you know, increased billions of dollars. It's certainly something that it, it just, it seems like a vicious cycle where we just keep coming back to the funding for these programs. As you said, as our previous guests on the show today said, as everyone, most people, I would say, can't say everyone seems to agree that there has to be some balance between private care and VA care, but Doctors tend not to do things for free. That's part of why they become doctors. It's a good paying job and they like to be paid well for uh, all of their services and the things that they've gone through. But uh, it's certainly uh, something that bears keeping an eye on as it moves forward because these are programs that can be the difference between life and death for people. I mean, and if funding runs out, what are you going to do? And that's the question that we've had to ask so many times over the last year since we've been here at Connecting Vets. And of course, every Tuesday for the last year, just about, we've been talking to Justin Brown, founder and CEO of Hill Vets, about a number of items. But I, I think to your point, what what are you going to do? I mean, at, at what juncture, you know, even if we yeah. continue to push healthcare into the private sector, um, you know, if we don't want to continue pushing more billions into VA healthcare, um, knowing that in-house VA healthcare is probably more cost-efficient, better continuity of care. Right. That that is the question. What is Congress? What are you going to do? Are you going to you going to keep funding it? You're going to you're going to you're going to double our current uh, very very expensive um, veterans healthcare budget, um, or are you going to you're going to ration care, yeah. or or are you going to you know? And rationing care may not be denying care, but it may be. You know, same problem we saw with Phoenix, which is what led us down this road in the first place, which was huge weights, uh, you know, lack of specialists, lack of primary care physicians. You know, so long story short, veterans weren't seeing uh, clinicians in time or in a timely manner. Um, and, and that in itself is a form of rationing care. So, you know, that that's, that's kind of the, and we've talked about this, you know, over and over and over again. Uh, you know, it's the monkey in the room, which is, know how how do we um you know make that choice because it it doesn't seem realistic that you're going to have you know unfettered uh private sector health care which by the way is 
you know, often not considered a great healthcare system by itself. Mm. Um, or, you know, is it going to be all in-house, um, maybe more cost effective, but you know, there are downfalls with that as well. It also, this discussion I think has, is something that the American public at large should take more of an interest in because this plays into all the people who want government health care. How are you going to pay for it is a question when it comes to veterans who make up a, a small percentage of the American population. If we're talking about the entire population, this is this is maybe a preview of if that ever happens, some of the same issues that might come up. Of course, if it's everybody, then you generally just raise taxes on everybody, which they're not going to do to, uh, to cover veterans health care. But really a fascinating, overarching conversation that has uh, it'll have effects when when this is figured out. If it's figured out, if it's not figured out, will certainly have an effect on the healthcare system at large in the United States as well, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, you even have folks, uh, you know, you've got folks like Amazon, right. Who are looking to potentially launch their own basically form of healthcare system, yeah. because I, I think what they they're seeing is so many intermediaries taking huge cuts in terms of money yeah, out of the healthcare system that you as the end user have to pay for, right? So insurance, right. all those things. I mean, insurance companies are making, you know, billions because they're, you know, they're, 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 they're getting money from the end user, right? That, that at the end of the day, that's more money that we as a collective whole are spending on, on, on healthcare. So I think groups like Amazon are looking at, you know, if we cut out all the middlemen and, and just deliver healthcare straight to the user, could we reduce costs? And I think, I think, you know, you've got the funding to set up such a system. I think the answer is absolutely. Now I'm bringing all of that up because you, you can bet that they're also looking at VA, veterans healthcare systems, uh, systems like this who, you know, certainly have, uh, who, who, who work with in insurance companies. But at the end of the day, a lot of the veterans who are utilizing their services are not paying any out-of-pocket expenses. So in terms of looking at a system that, you know, is delivering healthcare straight to the, to the end user um, without a lot of the, the same challenges you see in the private sector healthcare system, it makes sense to look at them. We're speaking with Justin Brown, founder and CEO of HillVets, about what's taking place on Capitol Hill and beyond that affects veterans legislatively and funding-wise and so on and so forth. Secretary nominee, Veterans Affairs Secretary nominee Robert Wilkie, who uh, barring something extreme happening, I think it's uh, it's fairly clear that he's going to be the new secretary of the VA. Promised lawmakers that suicide prevention will remain the department's top clinical priority. What do you think about that? Do you think that that's, I mean, uh, suicide is certainly something that should be a priority, but is, is it the top priority for the VA or are there other things that you think might be in that conversation? Well, I, I certainly think, at least in terms of what we're seeing in the news and level of interest, it's really this notion of where the future of VA healthcare is going. That certainly, at the end of the day, I think affects the largest number of veterans across the country. Um, you know, and, and with regards to you know their quality of life, um, suicide, I think certainly being a, a, a subcomponent of that. Um, but I, but I also think that you know. VA's challenge, and, and, and you know, you recently had this 20-page review um, uh, released by the American Legion, which basically is is highlighting problems with Veterans Affairs hiring practices and department doctors over prescription of anxiety drugs, which may be undermining officials' efforts to combat suicide among veterans. So, you know, there, there's this interesting dynamic going on right now, which is you know, VA is 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 hyper focused on suicide as 
as a healthcare, seemingly a healthcare issue only. And they're very kind of uh, minutiae in this traditional mental health care focus on, on suicide, um, despite, you know, groups like Boulder Crest Retreat who are having incredible outcomes with more of a whole health focus, right? right. It's not just, you know, it's not just the fact that you're depressed. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, you, 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 you know, you're having troubles with your finance. Maybe you're, you know, not exercising, you know, maybe you're, uh, you know, abusing or overusing substances, you know, such as alcohol, marijuana, whatever it may be. Um, you know, but I certainly think there are other approaches that VA doesn't seem to be focused on. So it's interesting to see, uh, you know, that listed as the number one, uh, priority, um, I don't disagree that it should certainly be one of the, the lead priorities. I mean, um, certainly from a political standpoint, it, I suppose that sounds good you know, right. because veterans are, are, you know, certainly killing yeah, themselves. It's a big issue. The and rate is actually rising. Overall numbers are down. That's a function of the number of veterans being smaller every day because think about the massive people that served in World War II, Korea, that are fewer and fewer with us each day, but the actual suicide rate is rising in the veteran community. So it is certainly an important issue and one that needs to be addressed. I think that there will be people who will say, well, what about fixing the bureaucracy at the VA, which leads to probably an increase in suicides because people are waiting too long to get to that. You know, I, I yeah. think that the what what he means is that's a focus of clinical health. It's it's not the first order of business. I think the first order of business at the VA, I would hope maybe we'll get to talk to Secretary Wilkie about this after he's confirmed. I would hope the first order of business would be straightening out the nonsense, the bureaucracy, the ridiculous things that people, the hoops people have to jump through to get to that great care that they can receive at the VA. But I, I think people need to delineate between those two that, yeah, that's the clinical priority, but the first order of business is going to be trying to get things ironed out and smoothed yeah. out and working better. Yeah. And I, I don't disagree with you. I mean, you know, they've got a, a whole host of issues. It's very easy to stick a, you know, a popular issue on the wall and, right. and point at it. Um, I'm just hopeful that specific to mental health care that they stay take a step back, look at the fact that they're spending eight billion dollars and more every year, and the problem's not getting better. Now, you know, I'm no savant, but if I keep spending the same, you know, two hundred dollars on something, uh, expecting a problem to start dissipating, and the problem actually starts getting worse, I might question our approach. We're speaking with noted non-savant Justin Brown, founder and CEO of HillVets here on the Morning Briefing Radio Show, brought to you by ConnectingVets.com, connecting vets every day. One of the things that we've been talking about recently, there was a story that we recently had up on the top five things you need to look at when checking out your colleges. Knowing what the GI Bill benefits are and how they work is really number one on that list, because if you can't pay for school, you ain't going to school. That's That's just how it works. So... There are actually some new changes that were just unveiled on the Forever GI Bill from DOD. What can you tell us about those changes, who they'll affect, and how they'll affect them? Yeah, so Thursday afternoon, uh, and this was kind of a, this was this was a shocker to me to read. <laughs> I still don't really understand it. <laughs> like I don't understand the motivation behind it. Um, but Thursday afternoon, the Department of Defense unveils new changes to the Forever GI Bill. And uh, essentially, they're, they're requiring stricter requirements on you being able to transfer your education benefits to a dependent. Um, now, you know, to, to, to back up a little bit, um, you know, I did a lot of work on passage of the initial post-9-11 GI Bill. Um, transferability was actually included as a way to bring on 
some certain some certain senators in terms of reaching a compromise and an agreement. The argument at the time was being made that uh, if we pass this very favorable post 9-11 GI bill, there would be, and I quote, because I'll never forget it, a grand exodus, mm. <laughs> a grand exodus, because the, the bill was so favorable that every service member would want to get out of the military. Now, you fast forward today to today and this proposal, I'm bringing up that context because I think it's important in, in terms of understanding why I'm so confused. They've basically required that you transfer the benefit uh, before 16 years of active service or you're no longer eligible to transfer the benefit. Hmm. So to me, who you're really hurting here are your, your long-term careers, right? Those, those very senior uh, service members who, you know, have stuck it out, you know, were quite the, the, the inverse of the grand exodus, right? Yeah. Gave a full commitment to, to military service. And now you're going to take that away from them because they're, they're, they're in for 17 years. It's, it's baffling to me. I mean, it, it for, for them, it, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's not coming out of their pocket. It's not coming out of DOD's budget. Um, why do they even have a say in that with that being the case, this isn't DOD's budget. So why are they able to make changes to a program that they don't even fund? That seems a little counterintuitive. Yeah, no, I agree. And, um, again, I don't get it. Uh, you know, I mean, short of being an administrative decision, um, maybe through the office of OMB, um, you know, who are crunching numbers on, you know, the cost of this program, uh, over, over, you know, future years, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's it's odd. And I could think of, you know, if I were to hazard a guess as to why they're doing this, two things come up. And that's if you don't transfer it before 16 years, I think they're probably figuring, well, you're heading towards retirement. If you make it to 16 years, there is a, an excellent chance you're going to be retiring from the service. Then you'll have retirement pay coming in. You'll have the, the GI bill that you're using. So they'd rather you transfer it to your child in a money saving uh, way for them. I think they don't want you quote unquote double dipping by being retired and getting the GI bill. Uh, but it doesn't seem like that's the kind of thing that should concern them. You know, if someone wants to pursue an education after they retire, they should be able to do that. And if they don't use all the benefits, they should be able to transfer what's left over to their dependents. I mean, it, it this seems like something that will probably upset the military and veteran community. And I don't know what benefit it'll have for anybody besides maybe saving a few bucks. Yeah. I mean, you know, particularly at times when we've had a, a challenge uh, retaining service members, I mean, I'd almost expect to see the opposite of this structure, right? Yeah. The longer you're in, the more you can transfer to your, uh, Makes sense. To, yeah. yeah, to your, you know, to your children, uh, child, um, so it is a bit surprising. I, I'm not surprised that they're that they're going after this specific benefit. I mean, there have been arguments that have been made that you know the post 9/11 GI Bill is an extraordinarily expensive benefit. Um, that if there was something that should be reduced because of the cost of the the benefit, that it should be you know this notion of transferability to children. There have been arguments that uh, the actual uh, uh, children as beneficiaries of post 9/11 GI Bill have actually not been as successful in utilizing that benefit, i.e., you know, they've kind of taken advantage of the program or, you know, I don't know those to be a fact, but I know those to be arguments that have been put forward um, in terms of, you know, if we're going to look at something in terms of reducing the cost of this program, then potentially we go after this. And I think it's important to remember that, you know, post 
uh, every other GI Bill we've ever had has really been a wartime benefit mm. um, for wartime service members. And so, um, you know, with uh, post 9-11 GI Bill and, and making it, you know, the quote unquote forever GI Bill um, point forward, uh, again, I'm, I'm not really surprised to see that, uh, you know, a little more surprised to see the, the, the administration go straight after it in this tact. Um, wouldn't have been as surprised to see some legislative proposals mm. proposing some similar things in terms of wi- winding down transferability to, uh, to, to dependent children. Going back to your point of, you know, you would expect that they would give more benefits to the senior people to kind of entice them to stay in. I think the 16-year requirement, that's probably them doing a little bit of math and figuring they've got them over a barrel there. 16 years in, what are you going to do? Are you going to get out? Because they made some changes to your uh, benefits. I I don't think so. Don't think it's going to work out that way. And then I don't think that the uh, younger folk being recruited in are thinking about 16 years down the road and having to make a decision like that. So really fascinating stuff. As Justin Brown brings to us every week, he is the founder and CEO of Hill Vets. Justin, if people want to find out more about Hill Vets, like the Hill Vets House Fellowship and all that stuff, where do they go to do so? Check us out at www.hillvets.org. You can also find us on Twitter at Hillvets. Not on Hillvets at Twitter. On either you, one. You, you either one. You can, you'll find us. Bo- you'll find us at both. Justin Brown, thank you so much for joining us, and listeners, thank you for joining us for the morning briefing today. Special thanks to our other guests, Concerned Veterans for America, and tomorrow's guest. Again, a, an hour-long, explosive interview with Senior Chief Kristen Beck, United States Navy SEAL, retired, who happens to also be transgender, and happens to have some pretty strong opinions on some subjects, including private manning she's pretty awesome yeah so it's, it's look a, definitely definitely check out that interview it's a good interview it's yeah. coming up tomorrow and that does it for today have a great day and we'll see you at 8 a.m sharp tomorrow replays of this show coming up at 11 a.m and 4 p.m helping military veterans stay connected we make it easy we are cbs radio's connectingvets.com connecting vets every day online and all over social media facebook youtube instagram and twitter at connecting vets is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.